Well, good morning, Oakwood family. I was just trolling backstage on my phone and found out there was like 110 screens tuned in this morning, which on average, you know, averages out to about 300 or so people watching online. So thank you for those that are in the room because I tell you what, when we were uh, locked down last year, one of the most awkward things I had to do was preach to an empty sanctuary and pretend like there was interaction there. And so it was really, really hard to do. I was, I was surprised at how hard that was to do. So it's good to have all of you in the room that were able to get out this morning. For those of you that weren't, we're so glad you've uh, carved out this time to uh, just worship the Lord and be with the church family, even if it is from a distance this morning. And so we thank you for, for uh, being here and for doing that this morning. Now, uh, we've been in a series for several weeks on the Ten Commandments, and today we're going to be talking about commandment number six. Now, I'm hoping that maybe you're getting familiar with the commandments, as am I, uh, uh, maybe you had to memorize those at church camp or maybe in Sunday school as a child, but uh, hopefully maybe you're getting familiar with them. And as we go over this week after week, we remember what those commandments are. And so let's go back to the beginning. What did God say at the very beginning? The first commandment was that you would have no other gods before me. The second one kind of built upon that concept. And he says, you'll have no idols and you will not worship those idols. Then the third thing was, he says, is that you will not misuse my name. Keep my name holy. Do not use my name in vain. And the fourth thing was that he said that you'll keep my Sabbath day holy, and you're going to learn what a Sabbath rest is, and you're going to keep it holy, and you're going to worship me. And then last week, we talked about the fifth commandment, which was to honor your father and mother. And uh, just invite you, if you've missed one of those weeks, to uh, go back. They're always available online. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about commandment number six. So uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. And uh, you can always follow along on your phone or, or on your tablet in the app. All the sermon notes and scriptures are there for you. Uh, you can also go to the Bible app and look up live events, and uh, we're on there as well. But Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to begin this morning. And it's going to be Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, which is a really long verse. But we'll, we'll, make, it, we'll make it through, I'm sure. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, this is what it says. You shall not murder. That's it. That's, that's commandment number six. You shall not murder. Commandment number six. Do not commit murder. And most of you that are, that are watching this morning, that are here this morning would say, not a problem for me. You know, <laughs> I don't struggle with this sin, otherwise I'd be in prison, you know. Unless it's something that I did a long time ago and I've, I've hidden or I've tucked away. Um, most of us, you know, can just say, okay. You shall not murder, time to go home. Uh, let's go join Snowmageddon in Snow, Oklahoma, where the wind and snow come sweeping down the plain. And, you know, it's really easy to, to hear a commandment like this and to just kind of bypass it and say, I don't struggle with that, I've never murdered someone, don't plan on doing that in the future. But yeah, it's a commandment, and God thought it was important enough to actually put it in the Big Ten. So maybe we ought to pay a little more attention to it. Or maybe there was a problem. Exodus chapter 20 Book before Exodus is Genesis, right? First murder in the Bible is after he gives us the command. Oh, wait. No, no, no. It was Genesis chapter 4. And it was two brothers. In fact, it was Adam and Eve's sons. Let's look at that this morning in Genesis chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, turn there. Because it's really interesting that before the command is even given, we obviously have a problem here. And what I want us to understand this morning is let's consider, A, what the Bible says. We're going to look in just a few minutes about what Jesus says about murder in the New Testament. And then how does a person get there? 
You know, I don't think that any human just wakes up in the morning and is like, you know what, today I feel like murder. I, I think I want to go take someone's life today. I, I don't think that's how, that's how it works. That it's just, you know, I think there's some things that maybe happened. You, you, would you agree with that? There's some, there's some things that happened. And maybe there's some emotions. And maybe there's some sinfulness and some sinful thoughts. And, and maybe some other things that happened before someone would actually get to the place where they would take someone's life. Let's look what it says in Genesis chapter 4. Beginning with verse 1, it says that Adam made love to his wife Eve. She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Okay, you remember that. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Verse 2, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. So we have Cain and Abel, first two, two boys of the, uh, of the Bible. And it says, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So one of them was a rancher and one of them was a farmer. And if you watch the production of Oklahoma, you know the farmer and the cowhand can be friends. And so this has been going on since Genesis chapter 4 perhaps. But no, it really wasn't about the ranchers versus the farmers here. It was really about sacrifice. Let's read on, verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So he, he just brought some of his, his crops and some of his produce. But look what it says in verse 4 about Abel. It says, and Abel also brought an offering, pause, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Some of the best of the best and the firstborn. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. That's, what was that, verse 6, verse 5? How does that situation get to murder? Let's read on, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right... Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you, and you must rule over it. Boy, what a warning for the rest of the Bible and for our lives, right? I mean, sin is crouching at your door. Don't give in to it. It desires to have you. It's going to consume you. You must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Hey, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. First murder in the Bible. Genesis chapter 4. How far have we fallen from Genesis 3 and the first sin to Genesis 4 and taking the first life? And I want you to remember, it's just my personal belief, that in Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he created Adam and Eve to walk in fellowship with God. And it doesn't say until they chose sin that death entered the world. Remember that. It says, then, then they chose sin, and then God comes in and says, now your years are numbered. And I wonder, I wonder if God's original intention and plan in the garden was that, was that Adam and Eve would walk and live forever with God until they made the choice to sin. And when sin entered the world, death entered the world, and it started this whole process. And then we get to a point where God, who is the creator and the sustainer of life, is now having a human made in his likeness take the life of someone else. And not only that, this wasn't just this, this like gang warfare or turf. These are brothers. 
Cain took the life of his brother. And you look at this and you think, why and how did we get there? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Why is the murder commandment important? Because most of us would shrug it off. First thing I want you to understand this morning. God knows that anger, resentment, jealousy, and revenge can lead to violent sin. If you let these things fester, think about these things. Anger, bitterness, rage, envy, malice, jealousy, revenge, all of those things. It it starts where? It starts in your mind. It maybe starts to seep its way into your heart. And it starts small. I'm just I'm just angry, and and that's not such a bad deal or or a big deal, but God addresses these things in Scripture, and he gives us warnings all the way along about how some of these little sins like anger and, and, and us acting upon that anger and sinning in it can lead to something like murder down the road. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Ephesians 4, 26 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Why? Because God understands if you let it fester, if you let it go on, you're taking baby steps toward hatred in your heart. Resentment, resenting another person in your heart. Not only just being angry with them, but now we're moving this whole totally different direction and we're getting much deeper into it. You have to understand this morning that my belief is that murder doesn't happen. Okay, no one's got that shirt, murder happens. No, it doesn't just happen. There's a bunch of things that lead up to it. And God understands that there's a lot that goes into the decision to take someone's life, and none of it is good. And it starts many times with anger. You talk to anybody in prison that has murdered someone, where did it begin for you? Oh, he made me so mad. It's always going back to anger, malice, rage, a depraved mind. Something that is leading people this direction. Look what it says in Romans 12, 19. Sometimes they want to do this for, they would call it a revenge killing. You know, it's like taking revenge, you know. And look, Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God says, I'm the one that is the creator and the sustainer of life. I'm the one that chooses when life is to be over for every person. And because I am over all that, you need to leave revenge type stuff to me. I know that you're going to be sinned against. I know that somebody's going to do you wrong. The Bible says clearly, forgive that person and move on with your life. And when you don't do that, you don't leave the revenge to the Lord. Let the Lord handle that. See, the sixth commandment extends, I believe, on Beyond just ending someone else's life. Because in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said this in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Listen to this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka. Raka, uh, if you look up that word, it means that, that someone is like worthless. It's like a good for nothing. Okay, that's, that, that's what that word would, that's the best way to translate it into English today. So if someone would say to a brother or sister, you're worthless, you're good for nothing, they're answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
Really, someone who is angry enough to call someone a fool. Someone who is angry enough to say raka to a brother or a sister. And this is a powerful challenge to all of those who follow Jesus because this is what's happened. Jesus is saying here that anger and hate toward another brother or sister is committing murder in your heart. And that's where it begins. Before the physical act is done, there's something that is happening in our mind. There's something that is happening in our heart. And, it, and Jesus goes on to say, if, you even, if you're even angry at a brother or sister, if you was, were so pent up with anger toward them and you would say, raka to them, you're you good for nothing, then, then anyone who would say, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And you see as Jesus gives this commentary on this commandment, where he's going with this. It's a powerful challenge. Because if you continue going down that road, the sin ends in murder. And it all starts inside of us. God knows that anger, resentment, jealousy, and revenge can lead to violent sin. Second thing this morning we can understand about this commandment. God understands the influence that prevalent violence has on our lives. God understands the influence that watching, consuming, prevalent violence, how that has influence on our lives. And guess what? Satan does too. He knows how this works. Because when you watch and consume media content that is violent in nature, there is a physical thing that happens. There's a psychological thing, a mental thing that happens. There's an emotional thing that happens. There's a spiritual thing. I want you to think back. When was the first time, and I'm assuming it was on television, it may be on the internet for, for some of you who are younger, but when was, the last, when was the first time ever that you saw someone murdered? And what did that feel like to you? I think for me, uh, it was probably when I was four or five years old, and it was probably uh, mom and dad were watching something on television, and, and, and it happened. Now, it wasn't, not, it wasn't near as graphic um, in, that, in, in that era. It wasn't near as graphic. You know, it might be like you hear a gunshot, and then you'll see like a little three, three drops of blood on the pavement. They wouldn't actually like show the body. They wouldn't show, you know, it wasn't like, you know, this CSI and, you know, all these shows that go into the crime lab, and I mean, they get, you know, pretty pretty intense with it. It wasn't like that. But I, I, I do distinctly remember as a child, like something is like really wrong with that. Like there felt darkness. It's like th th this is, this is not, not good at all. And, and I think that's one of Satan's plans for us. I felt it in my own life and, and I've seen it in teenagers' lives when I was a youth minister and I've seen it in adult lives today. The Satan's plan is to expose us to more and more things. His plan is that through exposure, that the shock of sin, especially violence, would not be as shocking as it was before. Now listen to these statistics about being more desensitized to violence. By the time a fifth grader graduates elementary school today, they will have witnessed 8,000 murders. They've already watched 8,000. That's a lot of murders. And whether that be online through an internet website, whether that be on online through, uh, through some type of video, maybe it's a television show. Um, there's even murdering cartoons nowadays. I mean, parents, if you're like, oh, there is, wake up. And this isn't like, coyote, you know, Wiley e. Coyote, you know, going off the cliff, you know, with Roadrunner or something like that. It's not something like that. It's, I mean, there's, there's killing, there's, there's violence in, in cartoons today. 
Fifth grade, 8,000. By the time they reach 18 today, they have seen more than 200,000 violent acts. And, and, and like I said, that's not just television or, or I mean, that's, that's taking all things into consideration. Seeing those violent acts 200,000 times. And I think Jesus saw this and he recognized the direct impact on our spiritual life that just being exposed to violence like this, exposed to, to, to killings and to murder might have on us, perhaps. Matthew chapter 6 Verse 22 and 23, Jesus is still preaching a Sermon on the Mount here, and he says this, The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And what Jesus is saying here is that we need to pay attention closely to what we're allowing in our hearts and in our minds. That we need to watch, really, all of these things that we take in as content, that we take in as media, that we take in as entertainment. How entertaining is it to watch someone kill another person? But we take these things in all of the time. What effect does it have on us spiritually? What effect does it have on us emotionally and psychologically and mentally? You see, I think God understands the influence that prevalent violence can have on our lives and how that might lead us down a road to thinking about that more. You may, because you're from Oklahoma, be familiar with the story of Sean Sellers. Maybe you haven't. It happened so many I mean, decades ago. But Sean Sellers uh, was a 14-year-old teenager at one time that got into a video game called Dungeons & Dragons. Through Dungeons & Dragons, it, was, uh, it just kind of opened the door to satanic, um, studying Satanism and, and doing all this kind of stuff. And when he was 16 years old, they took, took the life of several people. It, after his conviction and everything, he was, he's one of the only ones to ever be executed for something that he did when he was 16 years old. The good news is, and by all evidence that I've read and seen and studied on him, he actually came to the Lord while he was in prison. But he still paid the ultimate price for his crime. Because of the murders that he committed, then he suffered the death sentence. There's so much arguing and stuff about his state of mind when he was 16, but after he had come to the Lord and seemed to be in a right mind in prison, he did many, many interviews. You may remember this. He was on television uh, several times with live interviews from prison of, how did you get there? How did you get to this point of hatred where you would take your parents' lives and where you would take the, the life of a, of a Circle K employee? It was actually three murders they found out that he had committed. And the Circle K one didn't come up until after he was in prison and he came to the Lord. He confessed, yes, I took the life of someone else. And he would say over and over, very consistent in all of his interviews, that it was this prevalence of violence through the video games that he was playing. Do you think the video games today might be more violent than Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe. And through that opening the door to some other darkness, through satanic worship, some curiosity into the power of evil, it was like a gateway drug for him. And it leads down this path to murder. I think God is very concerned. And I think as Christians, 
Maybe things, sometimes we just need to turn things off. Maybe we need to walk out of the theater. Maybe we need to turn off the television show so it doesn't capture the ratings of us being desensitized. The last thing this morning, why, why is this commandment important? And probably the most important thing for us to understand, number three, is that all human life is precious to God. All human life is precious to God. Every single person is precious to God, even the evil ones. God created life. He is the sustainer of life. It's a big deal. We were made in his image. Look, look what it says here in Genesis chapter 9 in, in verse 6. It says, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. God made mankind in his own image, and every time someone dies, and every time somebody would take someone else's life, you're actually taking someone who was made in the image of God. You're taking the life of someone who was actually made in God's image. And even when life begins in the womb, that life is precious to God. It doesn't matter if it's in the womb or if it's the oldest senior adult, that life and that person is precious to God. We're reminded of, of this in Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 16. Psalm 139 says this, You created my inmost being, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Listen to this. My frame, the frame, he's talking about his body here. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You, your eyes saw my unformed body. This is an acknowledgement before the body is even formed. You saw my unformed body. All of the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And even in the womb, that life from conception forward is precious to God. And while not every person chooses God as Lord, the Bible says that everyone is made in his image. And that alone means that all human life is deserving of respect and honor and preservation. That's the point, I think, of Genesis 9-6. When we shed the blood of other human beings, when we attack another person, what, no matter what our reasoning is behind it, if it's anger, if it's revenge, when we are attacking someone, we are attacking someone who is made in the image of God. And I think it wounds God deeply. Because we are his creation. And he says, I am the Lord over all. I'm the one that ultimately gets to decide how long your life is. I'm the one because of that, you shall not murder. It's interesting, though. As we're commanded to not murder, how do we respond to this as Christians? Well, I think I've, I've covered this morning the thought of violence in your life and being exposed to it. I think you've seen the heart of Jesus behind that. I think you've also seen the heart um, in Jesus Christ's own words from the Sermon on the Mount about murder. When he says, hey, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you, 
To not even let your anger get to the point where you're having those kind of thoughts. Because of what it brings into your life. And yet you see murder throughout the, the, the scripture, you, you see that people struggle with this, that, they, that there's times where they sneak up on each other. I mean, we even had the, the, the things going on with Saul and David, remember? I mean, I, I really think Saul was going to try to kill David because of David's popularity and the threat to his throne is the king. I mean, we see this all throughout, and, and we think and we're, can work back through the, the anger and the resentment and the revenge and all the emotions that go along with it. And then we get to this amazing story in the New Testament about Jesus. Jesus was murdered at the hands of humans. And God allowed it. Don't, 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 don't ever think for a second God didn't have the power. He was out of control. Jesus didn't have the power. He was out of control. No, this was by choice. But there's something that happened way back in Genesis when sin entered the world. And it says death entered the world. You see this sacrificial system start right there in Genesis chapter 4 that we read about with Cain and Abel. And we're going to bring the best of our flock and the fat portions of our flock. And we're going to sacrifice that animal and bring it to the Lord. And you see the sacrificial system. I'm, I'm reading the Bible chronologically right now. And uh, I've, I've just uh, been through Leviticus. And, and Leviticus has all of these rules, the practicum of animal sacrifice and how it's to be done and what, what does it mean. And, and God is doing all this. So God's rule from the beginning was if there is sin, something has to die. If there is sin, there will be a blood sacrifice to cover those sins. Do you know how many animals you'd have to kill in your life to cover your sins? I think thousands. And you guys are really nice people. But God has established that and saw that man needs a savior. And the cries of all those animals and that bloodshed have been going on in Israel for all those years and keeping the, keeping the feasts and keeping the accounts and what was going on in the tabernacle and the high priest and all of that order and all that structure was leading to one thing, that there would need to be this perfect lamb. Isaiah refers to Jesus as the perfect lamb of God to be the sacrifice for our sins. How God, to allow, that, how God allowed that to happen. And I think it was to show us in our face the sinfulness, our, our sinfulness, the depth of our sinfulness, was to hand the Son of God over to the people. For the people had to have the choice to free him because of the, the Passover festivities, and yet the people choose Barabbas, a criminal of all people, not Jesus who heals, not Jesus who is the one that is doing miracles and the one that is teaching and the one that is showing the way to the kingdom of God. And the people say, hey, yeah, the innocent one that's never sinned, crucify him. And God allows it. And Jesus is murdered. But understand that in God's ultimate plan, there was a great purpose there. He was buying back our souls. This was a sacrifice once and for all time. 
a sacrifice to end all sacrifices, that the perfect, blameless Son of God will be murdered. That's not the end of the story. Remember, coming up to Easter, only like six weeks away, remember the story doesn't stop there because the Son of God rose and conquered death and conquered over all of our sins and gave us the hope of eternal life in heaven, cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the bloodshed had to happen. I just don't know that if I were God, I would have chosen to do it that way. But when you hold up man's sinfulness next to God's holiness and you see Jesus, it's amazing the depth of love God has for us. As we conclude our time this morning, we're going to take communion. Well, what, a, what a great opportunity we have now to take the bread that represents Jesus' body and to take this cup that represents his blood. And Jesus told the disciples and all those that would follow him, do this in remembrance of me. So hopefully, even in the snowstorm, you've made preparations at home. If not, grab some crackers, grab some juice. If you're here with us this morning, of course, you can grab those as you come in. We're going to spend some time communing with the Lord and being thankful for his sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you love us so much, and I thank you for life, Lord. And we know that you're a God of life. You're the one that brought us into this world, ultimately, God. And through this commandment today, we see that we are not to murder, and Jesus seems to even take it a step further and to not even commit murder in your heart through anger and resentment and rage and bitterness and malice and all those things. And Lord, some of us may find ourselves, we're not contemplating murder this morning, but when we have those things prevalent in our life, the anger and the bitterness and the revenge, and it's kind of opening a door, it's kind of a gateway. Jesus would say, hey, you're, you're contemplating murder in your heart whether you want to admit it or not. And God, Jesus died to forgive all of those sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So God, as we take this time of communion this morning, we take this bread that represents the body of our Savior and the cup that represents his blood, I pray we would do this in remembrance of you and be so thankful, God, that you chose to allow Jesus to be a sacrifice for us. And that through that, atonement was paid so that we could have hope of eternal life. We got to have hope of a changed life, a life where we're leaving our life of sin and we're moving in your direction living to your standards of holiness. So God, I pray in these next few moments, continue to speak to us. Lord, that we would look and see if there's any wayward way in us, and we would give that over to you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would this morning, just take a few moments now and commune with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.